This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on the first letter of John called Life in God's Love. Our scripture reading today is taken from the first letter of John, chapter 1, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for this time of worship, God. Thank you for promising to be here with us. And we ask, because you promise, that you will enlighten our time by your Holy Spirit. God, open our hearts to receive your word and to our eyes to see you afresh, that we may have total assurance and confidence in your name because of what you've done for us. God, just bless us with um, clear thoughts and ability to really be here right now, the end of a long week or launching into a new week or whatever else may be going on in our lives or around us. Um, I just pray you'd give us a focus and protect us from any distractions and any of that, um, and that you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. I'm Eli. I am doing the second installation of our quarterly, monthly preaching series on 1 John. Jeff preached last time, and there'll be someone after me, and we're kind of rotating. So this is a break from Pastor Bart's regular series on the whole Bible, the Old Testament, (laughs) half of the Bible. My title is a pun. I don't know if you have it in your country where you're from, but my dad has been after me to get life insurance, which in the U.S. is a way that you can pay a small fee every month, or not so small, depending on who you ask. And if you were to suffer an untimely death, then your loved ones would get a chunk of cash, which is nice, because if you, you know, the breadwinner, if you're earning your income, you might be worried about those who you're caring for, and so this is a way to sort of take care of that. Life insurance. I bring that up because um, what the people that John is writing to here were experiencing a kind of insecurity, a kind of fear that uh, can't really be addressed with insurance, paying cash, but that John wanted to address. The purpose of his letter here is to give the believers that he's writing to a greater sense of assurance, a confidence, a peaceful surety of their salvation in Christ. 
The occasion for that is, as Jeff mentioned last time, some false teachers had crept into the church. So, false teachers, children, if you guys saw a false teacher, how would you know it? Do you think false teachers wear black capes and have red shiny eyes and say things like, go kick puppies and eat candy before breakfast? No, probably not. Actually, false teachers are very believable, and false teachers slip into the church because they look good on the outside, and they come with plausible ideas, and in fact, very attractive and alluring ideas. But the fact of the matter is they send people into a tailspin. They send people into fear and confusion and doubt, and that's what was happening here. And John is coming in to set it straight and to set them back unstable ground. John writes in a very loving, kind of overflowing, peaceful way. He, he doesn't really write kind of like Apostle Paul, who comes in with very powerful logical arguments sometimes, or like Apostle Peter, who, who gives a lot of exhortations. John doesn't even seem to follow a very linear approach. If you've read the book of 1 John, and you feel a little bit lost, like it's kind of wandering around, Um, it is, actually. He is not setting out a very clear outline. He is hitting some key themes, and he's going over them again and again and again. He wants to really rub it in or lay on the varnish or make, you know, a multi-layered cake, whatever you want. He's going over it again and again, so it'll really sink in, and he hits it from different angles. So we're going to be preaching, and a lot of it will be the same, and that's great uh, to hear it again and again. He wants these believers to return to a confidence in Jesus. It's a confidence that rests not in their own spiritual achievement, but in Jesus' spiritual achievement. So we're going to learn what these teachers are teaching through the way that John is responding to them. So the false teaching can be found in three statements that John gives in this paragraph that we just read at the second half of of chapter one. Welcome you to follow along if you have scripture with you, Um, but don't start checking messages. You will be struck by lightning. No, I hope not, but don't check messages. There, There are these three conditional phrases that are, if we say, if we say, if we say, it says it three times. It's kind of Kind of nice. And inside of these are embedded what the false teachers are teaching because he's responding to them. So we have 1 6, verses 6, 8, and 10 because he likes even numbers. So he starts with, if he starts with, this is the message. I'm just going to back up for myself. Jeff introduced John's credentials that he knew Jesus in the flesh. Jesus came, we can have fellowship with him, and John did. So John gives his, I'm the messenger of this message, and then he gives the message in verse 5. This is the message that we have heard and we proclaim to you. God is what? Let's just play a little bit. Say it real nice and loud. I'll give you a hint. The word is light. God is? Oh, I like that. A little call and response. God is light. This is John's starting place. And this is where the false teachers get it wrong. And John wants us to know that God is light. 
God is not just a light. God's my light. God is not one of many lights. He is light. God illuminates the universe. The universe depends on God's emanation of glory. I mean, subatomic particles are held together by the radiance of God's glory. If God blinked his light, material existence would vanish. God is light. He is the prime source. Everything flows from him. Everything is downstream of him. He needs nothing. He is self-sustaining. He is indivisible. He is one unity in himself, and he is self-satisfied. He is glad and joyful. We can have fellowship with that. But our starting place is to recognize who he is. God is light. And if that weren't enough, John feels it's helpful to add on, in him is no darkness at all. You know, old light bulbs that have the wires in them, you know, they like cast a little wiry shadow on the wall. It's not that kind of light. Why does he need to add this? God is light. It's plenty to work with. We could really dig into that for a long time. Because this is where they get it wrong. In him is no darkness. It's like it's some Greek double negative that equates roughly to, like, in him ain't no darkness. Like, isn't not any none darkness at all. <clears throat> if we get this wrong, then everything falls down in our understanding of the gospel and our assurance of faith crumbles. And this is what started to happen. So he starts with this clarifying statement. God is light, everybody. Let's just remember where the gospel begins, who God is. God is holy, holy, holy. In him is no darkness at all. First if, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. So the first if is that we have fellowship, if we say we have fellowship with him. So this is what the false teachers were saying. We have fellowship with the light, the light, the glorious, beautiful holiness of God. We're, one, we're with him. We're in with God. We have this fellowship. Yes, we have it. But obviously, they're walking in darkness. What exactly does that mean? If we say we have fellowship with him but walk in darkness, uh-uh. He elaborates in the next if. Jump down to verse 8. So if we claim, say we have fellowship, second if, if we say, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, and actually verse 10 is the same thing. If we say we have not sinned, variations on the same thing. The picture that emerges is that there were these teachers coming in claiming to have unity with God, but claiming that that was based on the fact that they had no sin, that they are sin-free. They had attained a kind of Christian perfectionism, totally sanctified top to bottom, no work left to be done, and in that was their assurance. This is not true. <laughs> That's sort of the short of it. Good night. No, this, this is not true because... God says that we do have sin. If we say we have no sin in verse 8, we deceive ourselves. We can believe it. We can be genuine and really think that we are done with sin, but it's wrong. Sin itself is deceptive. Furthermore, in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar. Because God has said throughout Scripture that we are sinful people. Now, 
what's happening here is basically a kind of a power play. This is what happens with false teachings a lot, I would say. The false teachers are coming in and, and, and basically claiming higher spirituality, a higher level. They have an extra leg up, and everyone else is therefore lacking. So note this. Pretty much any claim to higher spirituality is evidence of lacking spirituality. Let's put that out there again. Any claim to higher spirituality is probably evidence of lacking spirituality. It's not to say that there are not people who are more mature or more intimate with Christ or further in their walk. There are. But false teaching usually happens when some guy or woman goes off on their own into the woods or into a cave or into their bedroom, and they receive something extra special from God out there. And then they come back to the rest of us with this enlightenment, with this inside knowledge, with this secret, with this experience. And then they start lording it over other people, which is something Jesus warned his disciples about, that the Gentiles lord their authority over. It will not be that way with you. Whoever will be great among you will be the least among you. And so when you have these claims of these higher spirituality, there's a lording over. It breeds fear and discontentment. The joy that John talks about in verse 4 is gone, and it results in bondage. People cannot break out. They cannot grow. It seems to me that it's a very carnal way of trying to get to God. It's a very, you could even say normal or human way that false teaching, false teaching often comes with. It's, it's the way of direct ascent. It's, I want to get to God, and I'm going straight to him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to improve. I'm going to obey. I'm going to attain to God's the heights. The gospel doesn't work that way. The gospel is always paradoxical. The gospel is not through direct ascent. I don't get to God myself. I get, I get to, to God through Jesus. I don't improve in order to get to God. God sends Christ in order to change me. Um, the gospel always inverts our kind of human impulses and instincts. We, we don't have assurance because of our perfection. We don't say, I've done so well, and therefore I know that I'm good with God. What John is going to show is actually assurance comes through admitting our sin and confessing it. It's not holding on to our gains. It's being honest with our losses. The way of Jesus is to glory, but it's through the cross. He came to life through death. You know, whoever will be great will be the least among you. In Isaiah, God says, you turn things upside down. <laughs> and so the gospel always seems inverted to us because he's turning things right, right side up again. So this is very against our impulse that's what's so alluring about the false teaching. Oh, an extra special thing. Ooh, my attention is drawn to this person. Ooh, they pray in a way. Oh, they're using their gift in a way. Oh, they worship in a way. Oh, it's this or that. And it's not to say we can't be different, or, but it draws attention to them. It draws attention to them. But true teachers, true shepherds of the flock are always pointing you to Jesus. Thank you. Always pointing you to Christ because he is the source. But that requires admitting that we're not. And our flesh just doesn't like that. Our flesh just doesn't want to do that. 
So these teachers are claiming to have no sin, and therefore to be in light, walking in the light. But it's ironic because that seems like the greatest spiritual claim. I've, I've mastered, I'm over, I'm done with sin. But it actually is the very thing that plunges them into darkness. So the antidote here is, is what John fills in in the in-between verses, between 6 and 8 and 10. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... Just not, then we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light, not walking in the dark. What is walking in the dark? He again elaborates. If we say we have no sin, this is the, the first step, and it is walking in the dark is at least this it's refusing to admit that we have sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. Verse 9 If we confess our sin, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have a follow-up in chapter 2, but, skipping down, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. The core of this is being honest about our sin. This is what coming to Christ means. Repenting is the first step, saying, I actually need a Savior. I don't have it all together. The Bible says, I have no good apart from you in the Psalms. Or Paul says, nothing good dwells in me. Or even a teacher or uh, this guy addresses Jesus, good teacher, and Jesus wheels on him. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God, testing him. Over and over and over again, we are faced with the fact that Scripture teaches that we are not good before God. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. I have darkness in me. It's that simple. But this word confess is not just to repent and believe in Christ and then go on your merry way. It's actually a continual thing. So these words here, confess our sins and he will cleanse us, are in this kind of continuing present tense. If we will be confessing our sins. I discovered with my son, Jesh, when we were looking up this word confess, that it's kind of a cut and dried word. So in Greek, it's homologeo, which homo means same, and logeo, logeo is logos, word. Same word, saying the same thing. It is, in essence, agreeing, saying, yep, you're right. So confessing your sin is not bludgeoning yourself. It's not talking bad about yourself. It's not false humility that says, oh, I'm a horrible person. I have nothing to offer the world. That's not confessing your sin. Confessing your sin is a clear-minded agreement with what God says, saying, yes, you are right. And that is the doorway to life. That is the entrance into light. It's how we're saved in the first place, and it's how we continue to walk in salvation. I failed this one time really bad when I was in college. I ran a a stop sign in my friend's car. You know, I slowed down but I did not come to a full and complete stop. And the fact is, it was a stick shift, and I wasn't very familiar, and I had no power steering, and I just thought, if I come to a stop, I'm never moving again. And I didn't see the officer. Well, I got a $103 ticket. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I mean, right? There are reasons why I didn't, and it was almost, so I contested the ticket. You can write down on your ticket, 
I'm not going to pay this. I'm going to show up in court and send it in. So I got a court date, and I went downtown Philadelphia to court. Yeah, thank you. You can start the laughter because it just does not end well. And I'm in a courtroom with like half as many people as in this church, dozens of people. We're all sitting there, and there's this judge, this tiny, feisty, wiry lady in her black cloak up there, and she was rattling off things left and right. I don't know what she was saying, and then people just started walking up. Well, she called them up, and you go stand in front of them, they muttered something, and, and then they were done. What she had said was, you have two options. You can either say you're not guilty and get stuck with your penalty, or you can do what's called a plea bargain. I'd never heard of that. I didn't even understand the word she was saying, plea bargain. And what it basically means is, yes, I did it, but I showed up here today, and she'll cut the fine in half and take away the points. And I didn't quite get that. <laughs> person after person going up, muttering, getting their things slashed, walking away. And so I walk up, and she's like, how do you plead? <laughs> Not guilty. You could have heard a pin drop. It was like someone slammed on the brakes. And she looked at me like, you have to be kidding me. She calls the officer, they read the charges, and she lays into me like pent-up judgy angst from all of Philadelphia, like laid into me, you know? She's like, do you have red octagonal signs in the state of Maryland where you're from? And what do those signs say? I was like, they say stop. And what does that word mean? Like, I mean, if there was a cup of milk, it would have turned to butter. She was just like, blah. And I curdled, and I paid, you know, she sent me out of there full fine, all the points. I wished I could shrivel up. I was thinking like a false teacher. I was thinking contingent. I was thinking context. I was thinking, yeah, I know, but I've got a real special thing going on here because my friend's little blue car doesn't have power steering. I have an explanation. We can work this out. Yeah, I know the Bible says, but you don't know me. Like, you don't know me. I'm a special snowflake, and I have conditions and a background and stuff. And the Bible's old. Or even worse, I have greater revelation. I have greater insight. I know it says that, but this is the path of falsehood and darkness that John is talking about. It's saying, yes, you are light, God. You're up there, I'm down here. But we're going to just, just going to even this out a little bit and have a kind of a face-to-face like conversation. <sighs> that doesn't go well. It's not because God is cruel and an ogre and an angry, witchy judge in Philadelphia. It's because he is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And he welcomes us through the door, which is Jesus. There is no other door. There is no other way. But it is open to come into the light and have fellowship with him. The front door is, yes, I am a sinner. I confess. I agree. You are right. Plea plea bargain, like, squared. And he offers it to us freely. We just have to come and walk in confession. This is how we start the Christian life. Maybe you're not a Christian or you don't know if you are. This is the front door. It's, I need a savior. I don't need a helper. I don't need someone to mop up my mess. I'm dead. I need a savior. I accept. 
I'll take your offer to be brought into the light. But this is also how we continue in faith. To walk in the light is to keep going in confession. To keep going in cleansing that confession brings. If we stop confessing, we don't get cleansed. It's like I tell my children, if you don't bathe, (laughs) you will not be allowed to sleep in the house. No. (laughs) You will not get clean. And it's the same thing I actually tell my children when there's a conflict, when we have a problem. I say, you know, the first step here is no holds barred, no dodging, admit what you've done. Because if you won't do that, you cannot get really forgiven. If it's, yeah, I did the wrong, but I have all these things, then when I say you're forgiven, it's only going to go halfway. We have to cut the whole thing off. We have to say, it was wrong. I don't care whatever, what else anyone, whatever anyone else did. I did this. I confess it. That's it. My side of the story, this is what I did. I confess. And he cleanses us. And he cleanses us day after day and day after day. You know, Martin Luther, the old dead guy from the 1500s, who basically kicked off the Protestant Reformation, He had this big fight with the Catholic Church, and it was over this idea of indulgences. Indulgences were pieces of paper that took off a certain amount of time in purgatory. Purgatory was that little in-between place you go after you die to burn off your sins before you get into heaven. It's all about earning your way in. And Luther actually read his Bible and said, this is a bunch of baloney. Indulgences are worthless. God forgives us freely in Christ. So he wrote these 95 theses. Anyone ever heard of the 95 Theses? Ooh, you guys have something good coming to you on October 31st. We're up to Luther viewing. In 1517, he wrote these 95 Theses or arguments, one-liners, and he posted them on a bulletin board, church door, all about indulgences and the Pope and stuff. And the first one, you know what the first one was? His first word in arguing for the purity of the gospel. When Jesus bids us repent... He wills that we live a life of continual repentance. Luther totally got this. It's not about burning off your sins in purgatory and getting time shaved off by paying money to the church and getting a piece of paper. It's owning it and getting totally cleansed day by day, day after day. This is how faithful Christians walk. I want to clarify this because John clarifies this. What I'm saying is not walking in defeat. And I'm not talking about walking in tolerance of sin or acceptance of sin or lackadaisical blase whatever, it doesn't really matter, of sin. In chapter 2, he says, my little children, just let me be clear. Yeah, I've said this. If we say we have no sin, lies and vituperations. No, we have sin. We need to sin. But I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Because that's what Christians do. We strive not to sin. We try to obey. We try to be righteous, to live holy lives. That is our call. That is our goal. That has not gone away. John is not lowering the bar. It's like, it's cool. God doesn't really care anymore. He cares, which makes it all the more precious. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Our desire is to live a holy and righteous life. Is that your desire? So here's a quick litmus test. Do you find yourself often confessing sin? 
If no, no, you know, I don't really do that. It's not part of my daily time with God, or it's not something I do with my friends or family. It's not something I do unless Bart makes me a church. (laughs) Then ask yourself, am I trying to live a holy life? Am I trying to get rid of sin in my life and to obey the Bible? And if you do find yourself often confessing sin, you may ask yourself, do I really expect to change? Maybe I just think I'm supposed to do that, just kind of keep wiping it off and never get anywhere. It's neither of these errors. There are kind of ditches on both sides of this dirt road here, right? We are striving to live a righteous life. John is writing to us that we might live pure. We'll get into it later. He's crystal clear. We will live righteously if we are in Christ. But we will also sin, and therefore we need confession. They're not opposed to each other. People will say, oh, if you say you just always confess, then you're just admitting you're always going to sin, and you sort of give up before you start. You're declaring defeat from the beginning. That is not the way to think about it. Here's another way to think about it. A runner running in a race. He's running, or she's running, to get to the end. That's the desire. And he's not going to stop running. And even if, even if, I don't know if you've ever been in a road race, but sometimes you just grind to a shuffle. But you're going because you're trying to get to the end. You are striving for the goal. But if you just suddenly declared that you were finished, here's the finish line, not there, and I'm done, then you would stop running. So by running, you are saying you want to get to the end and admitting that you're not there yet. You following? It's both and they go together. If it's, hey, no standards, I'm done, the race is over, then you quit running. Confession and living righteously are like that. We are striving in holiness every day and day after day. And because we are doing that, we confess. If there's no desire for holiness, there's no need for confession. You just don't run into it, it never comes up right? But they go together. Confession is the evidence of our earnest pursuit of righteousness, and our growth in righteousness is shown by our need to confess. The point is that our comfort is not in what the false teachers are saying. It is not in our perfect sinlessness that we have attained. It is not in higher spirituality that is greater than your spirituality. It is in Christ. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is good, good for it. He's good for you. And, and John's like, let's just pull the lid off. His, it's, he's good for everyone. He can handle it all. That's how big it is. That's how comforted I want you to be. Take your confidence off of your own performance. Take your eyes off of what you can do for God and receive again humbly, this good news that Jesus has died for our sins and takes us to the Father. I'm going to end with that and close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this good news. We confess our slowness to believe it. We admit that we are just like false teachers a lot. We try to perform. We try to be super spiritual And often that just leads us into fear and confusion and doubt. 
But you have given us a sure foundation, a solid hope, which is Jesus and his finished work for us. Thank you. Thank you, God. God, help us to walk. Help us to run this race, to strive for holiness, and to confess sin every day. And in that, to have great joy that you promise. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.